Thank you very much. God bless you for that. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. This passage of Scripture, as we have been speaking and preaching on worship now for almost three months, this passage is worthy of our revisiting it because as we read the text here this morning, you will find the word worship is used ten times in these few verses. And the interesting thing about this in John 4 is where Jesus is, goes to the well here and meets this Samaritan woman, and he is having one of the main conversations about worship that you'll find in the Bible. Now, you would have thought that he would meet somewhere with a theologian or with one of the rabbis, some of the chief leaders, to discuss the subject of worship. But instead, he comes across the path of a, of a woman whose life has been wrecked by sin, who has had several husbands and now living with a man who is not her husband, which shows us that worship, once, once the soul is converted, that God is interested in the common man worshiping Him, that it's not set aside just for the clergy, and that's the term that they use today, the clergy. I don't like that term. Uh, I don't like the term reverend or clergyman. I believe that God saves men and gifts men and places them in the body of Christ, but I think we're all the same when it comes to Jesus Christ our Lord. But here he is speaking of this woman, and I want to pick up with you here and remind you, when we talk about worship, we're talking about the subject of believing that someone or something is worthy of your adoration, your affection, your praise, your love, your time, your talents, your treasures, one that you would subject yourself to in obedience, which is then reflected many times by our actions, whether it be the bowing of the head or the lifting of the hands, or the bending of the knee, and sometimes even the prostrating on the ground, as sometimes it's called falling on their faces in the Bible. So let's pick up in our text in chapter 4, verse number 20. The woman brings up the subject. Verse 20. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I would like to direct your attention to a phrase that Jesus uses in verse number 23 and speak on that to you this morning for a few moments. He uses the phrase in verse number 23. He says, when the true worshipers. And I want to speak on true worshipers today for a few moments of your time. Let's pray again. Father, bless your servant. God grant me liberty. I pray authority and power. I pray you'd help me to balance courage with compassion. And Lord, help me, I pray, to speak clearly and to give sense of the meaning of these passages. In Jesus' name, amen. I see three things that Jesus said are necessary here for true worshipers. One, that you would have to worship in the right direction. Number two, you would have to worship in the right disposition. And number three, that you would have to worship in the right doctrine. All three of these are found here in this passage. 
Jesus makes it very clear that he said to a woman, he said, you worship, you know not what. And the right direction, there's only one direction where that worship is acceptable. And he's talking here about the Father. The Father. Talking about God the Father. When Satan came after Jesus and he said, hey, listen, I'll give you all of this if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus' response was, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So worship, again, is exclusive. Meaning that God does not accept just anybody's effort, but that it has to be in the right direction. Meaning toward God the Father. Do you realize that most people on this planet have some form of worship? There's never been a shortage of worship on the planet Earth. There's never been. If you'll read through history, you'll find every culture has its own altars and its own uh, temples and its own, uh, uh, you might say, clergy system. That has, Whether you go to the Mayan temples or whether you go to the totem poles of the Native Americans here, there's always been some form of worship by man on this planet. So that's not a shortage of that. But there is a shortage of true worship. Now keep your hand where you are for just a moment and turn with me quickly to Psalm 115 just to give you a little bit of a comparison to what I mean by this. The psalmist, uh, you know, makes it very clear here that um, idolatry is something that is not new. And uh, when uh, you see this here, you'll understand in Psalm 115, people have made up their own mind and in their own hearts about the images of God and and their imaginations about God. But when you reject light, you immediately start stepping into darkness and to error. But you'll find that uh, this world has been full of really basically people who are either idolaters or attempting to worship the true God in an ignorant manner. Look at Psalm 115. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. So my God is on his throne. He does as he pleases. And he owes me no explanation. He owes me none. I'm glad when sometimes he does give me some. But he doesn't have to. But look at this. Verse 4. Their idols... Their gods, who they worship, are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. But notice the comparison. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them so is everyone that trusteth in them. You know, you become like the God you worship. That's what that passage teaches you. You become like the God that you worship. My God is different because my God is able to speak. Thank God. And my God is able to see the eyes of the Lord or in every place beholding the evil and the good. And my God is able to hear. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. What a blessing. David said, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice. And so when I am praying, I am not praying to a statue or to a piece of stone covered with silver that cannot hear me. I am talking to a living God who sees me and who can hear me when I talk to him. What a blessing that is. Noses have they, but they smell not. That's given for discernment. The smell represents discernment. My God can discern what's going on in the heart of men. Verse 7 says, They have hands, but they handle not. My Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot help and that it cannot save. And I, I love my God. He's alive. He's real. And it says, neither speak they through their throat. I thank God this morning that I know the true and the living God. And I don't know Him 
on my own. Thank God that He put me underneath the sound of the gospel that I might find Him. I thank God for that. Go back to John chapter 4 with me, please. And if you'll think about this too as well, you'll think about uh, when Paul went to uh, Athens and then wound up on Mars Hill, which would in this day be very similar to a college campus of where he was at. And there they were, and everywhere he went in the town, he saw that people were given to idolatry. Did you, you, church, listen, we are a mission-giving church. We we love missionaries, and we thank God for them. But do you realize that missions is not only about changing the eternal direction of a sinner? I mean, we want them to be saved, and we want them to go to heaven. We want them to have eternal life. Of course, that's one of the reasons why that we support so many missionaries here in this congregation. But may I tell you that when Paul went into that city, one of the things that stirred him was the fact that they were worshiping the wrong God and that evangelism and missions is really about the war and the battle for worship. And that when a man gets saved and converted, he then leaves his idols and his false religion and turns to the true God and begins to worship the true and the living God. So what I mean by that is, is that not only their eternal direction, but also their earthly direction of worship to God. That's why when he, when he was writing to the Thessalonians and he was bragging on that church, he said, hey, he said, from you sounded out the word of the Lord. And he brags on them about their faith and sending their faith and, and the truth around the globe. And he said, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you, you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for His Son from heaven. So evangelism is about the saving of the soul, but even beyond that, it is about converting that soul to worship the true and the living God. God is far more interested in in than just taking you to heaven. God is interested in seeking and looking for men and women who will worship Him here on earth now before we get to see Him on the other side. God is greatly pleased with faith. I've never seen God with my eyes. I have never heard His literal voice with my ears. He has not literally touched me with His hand, but by faith I have heard His voice, and I have felt His touch upon my heart and my life. I serve an invisible God, but I don't serve an imaginary God. Praise the Lord, the true and the living God. You know, God is interested in men worshiping Him in the right direction. You remember the three Hebrew boys when... The king decided to build a statue for himself and have everybody to what? To bow down and to worship the image of him. And the boy said, uh, no, sir, we only worship in one direction. And it won't be in this direction. It will be in that direction. And they said, hey, listen, we'll give it another chance. So they got their contemporary band together. They got their praise team together. And they, had, and they had their worship service. And they said, boys, when the music starts, now if you'll bow down, we'll forget about this. And the boy said, there's no need in us discussing this. He said, we got news for you. You can throw us in there. Yeah, that's okay. But we know the God that we serve, He's able to deliver us from your hand. But if He chooses not to, we just want you to know. We got our minds made up. We're not bowing our knee to your God. He said, we worship one God, the true and the living God. And they threw him in. They threw him in. But you know the story. There was another one in that fire likened unto the Son of God. And sometimes if you want to get a glimpse of the true and living God, sometimes you have to get in the fire. Amen. You have to go through some things to be able to get a glimpse of him. But I know this. They said, nope, we're worshiping in one direction. Peter was sent to the house of Cornelius, who had requested that Peter come and speak to him the word of God. And when Peter got there, 
The Bible says that Cornelius, a soldier, a mighty man of honor and valor, the Bible says he fell down and began to worship Peter. And Peter immediately grabbed him and told him to get himself up off the ground. He said, For I am but a man like as unto thee. And what Peter was telling us is that you do not worship a man. You worship the true and the living God. The right direction. The true and the living God. There is no preacher. There is no evangelist. There is no missionary. There is no one in history worth worshiping except the true and the living God. Thank God for good men. But you do not bow before them. You do not bow before the Pope. Or his cardinals. You do not bow before men to worship them, you bow before the true and the living God. Then I think about even John. John had a chance to see into the mystical world of angels, and the angel appeared to him, gave him tremendous revelation. And over in the book of Revelation, it says, it says one of those moments in chapter number 22, that he fell down before that angel and began to worship him. Colossians 2 warns you about entering into that realm and worshiping angels. He says, don't do that. And that angel, knowing this, that angel knowing that there was only one worthy of worship, he said, John, you get up from there, buddy. He said, I am a fellow servant like unto thee. And brethren, the direction of your worship matters to God. You say, Brother Roger, I, I understand that. Well, let's just state the obvious then. Let's worship the true and living God in the right direction the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's worship Him. But second of all, Jesus said to this woman, not only must, you, that you must, must we worship the Father, and He mentions the Father several times. Isn't it amazing how that Jesus wanted to honor the Father and the Spirit wants to honor the Son? Isn't that amazing? And the Bible says here that Jesus said you also must worship Him in spirit. Now this is the right disposition. This has to do with your heart. This has to do with your soul, your spirit. Vain worship is condemned in the Bible. Empty. Heartless. Approaching God with just your lips is unacceptable to God. God is interested in your heart. He is interested in you making a genuine, sincere effort to worship Him. Now listen, your emotions are going to come and go. So we're not talking about now trying to work yourself up into some kind of emotional frenzy and call that worship. We're talking about you making a sincere effort from your heart to go unto God sincerely with your adoration of Him, your confession of Him, your attitude as you approach Him. And sometimes the emotions will be there, and sometimes they will not. But whether they are present or whether they are absent, He is worthy of your effort sincerely from your heart as you read your Bible and as you sing your songs and as you confess with your mouth the things that you believe about Him, He is worthy. There are times when I tell my precious wife that I love you and I mean it with all my heart, but there are no tears in my eyes when I say it. But then there are times when I say the very same words and there are tears in my eyes when I say it. I don't understand why the emotions are there and sometimes they are not. But I mean it both times. As much as one as the other. And when I get up in the morning, I'm going to tell the Lord, Brother Kevin, that I love Him. And there are some times when I say that, that I can feel that in my heart and the lump in my throat. And I just, it's different. And then there are times it's absent, but I still mean it from my heart. The right disposition in spirit. My affections, my adorations, and my attitude. The book of Malachi, when they had to... Worship Him by bringing a sacrifice. 
Sometimes some of the folks would say, you know what? Man, I don't want to use that prime lamb out there today. I'm going to get one of those that's got a broken leg or one of those that's got some disease on it, and I'm going to bring it to the Lord. I mean, basically I'm going to bring his leftovers. In other words, you were half-hearted in what you were doing. And God said to you, God said to them, I don't want what you're offering. If you don't mean it, if it's not from your heart, if it's not the best you can give me today, I'm not interested in it. He said, because I'm worthy of your best. And he is. So don't come to church half-hearted, half-asleep. Now, I know some of you had a short night. I'll forgive you this morning. He said, well, it's your job to keep me awake. Uh, Excuse me? If it's my job to keep you awake, then allow me the liberty to come back there and grab you by the neck and just give you a slap in Jesus' name. And I'll keep you awake. I'll do it in love. Thank you, brother. Turn with me, please. Now, in this passage, I need you to see something here about your right disposition. But let's talk about the right doctrine. Isn't it amazing to me? You know, I was thinking about this song they were singing. Did you realize that, doc- that song was full of doctrine? You won't find very many praise teams singing that song. You won't. That's not seven words repeated 11 times. That's one right there where you've got to think about what they're saying. And they're th- talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and His, and His imputation and how that He died for us and how that His righteousness was imputed to our account. Well, wait a minute. That means I've got to engage my mind a little bit, doesn't it? I've got to think about what I'm singing and what I'm hearing and what I'm saying. I get past a lot of Americans today. But I want you to give you an example of this, about this right doctrine. Jesus said spirit and truth. Look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Look at this. I'm going to give you an illustration right here. We're going to, please turn there because we're going to read a lot of verses. Bear with me. I don't normally read this many passages, but I'm going to read and comment. This is an excellent illustration about worshiping God in truth. The Lord wants you to worship Him with understanding, with intelligence, with knowledge, not with images that you've made up with your own mind or your imaginations that you've made up with your own thoughts. But I want you to consider this example to help us in how that we develop our hearts and minds to be able to truly worship the true and the living God. You know, the Bible likens us, when we were unsaved, He likened us unto men who were in darkness. Do you agree? Even blind. you agree with that? Like the songwriter, I was blind, but now I see. And when the gospel comes into a sinner's heart and he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, the light comes on. The light comes on in his heart. Now he begins to see things from a different perspective because he's headed in a different direction into a different world. So in John 9, you're going to see something happen here to this man and how it develops and how eventually it leads him to worship. And I think that we can learn from this when it comes to truth. And how that truth is not something that is just unloaded on us the moment we get saved. There's some truth that's necessary in order to be saved. But then we increase in our knowledge of Him, which increases our ability to be able to worship Him. I promise if you get to know Him better, you won't have a hard time worshiping Him. I promise you that. John chapter 9, read with me now. This is a very interesting story. I believe it. Chapter 9, verse 1, As Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from His birth. That's you and I, spiritually. His disciples asked Him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was the common thought of that day that if you had something horrendous 
happened to you or in you or about you, it was because somebody had sinned, because sin always has serious consequences. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. He didn't mean that they were not sinners. It meant that they had not done something that caused this blindness. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And as far as we know, the blind man has said nothing to Jesus. Jesus has walked by this man and saw him. And Jesus initiated this relationship. And he takes this and he puts it on this man's eyes. And then he gives him something to do. He said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. I can only imagine, Brother John, what it was like. I wonder what he was thinking when somebody... Now remember, he hasn't ever seen anything. He's only heard voices. People have had to lead him around or he's had to find his way around. I think him to be probably a young man. And I'll tell you why in just a little while. Not a child, but a young man. But he's not been ever been able to see. And then some stranger comes by and then takes some, some clay and begins to put it on his eyes. No doubt his parents have taken to many physicians and not been able to do anything for him. And this is certainly a strange way to, to heal somebody of blindness. I'm wondering what he's thinking on his way to the place to be able to wash. I have no idea what his imagination was thinking, but he probably thought at some point in there, hey, this is, it's worth a try. And so he goes and he puts that water on his face and he begins to wash all that mud away off of his face. For the first time in his entire life, he sees images and he sees light and he sees faces and he sees people. Can you imagine that moment for him in his life? And so the Bible says here, in verse number 8, The neighbors therefore, and they that which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Obviously there was something different about his behavior. Obviously he wasn't reaching for things or he didn't have a stick in front of his of his steps trying to find the way through the city. Man, he's just walking around strutting like a rooster. Man, he's just going right along in town. They said, hey, man, look at this guy. He's not bumping into anything. Nobody's carrying him by the arm. He's just going right through. So when God does touch you, he does change you. And other people notice that there is a change in your life. And they say, hey, ain't this the guy that uh, was blind and he used to sit out there by the wayside and beg? Some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, nope. It's me. (laughs) I am he. Verse 10 said, therefore said they unto him, well, how in the world did you get your eyes open? He said, how were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus. Now, this is all he knows. A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. They said unto him, well, where is he? And he said, I know not. He has been changed. He doesn't know very much about Jesus, and he doesn't even know where he's at. Verse 13 says, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. Now, you know why they're doing this, don't you? Because Jesus did this on the Sabbath. I think Jesus liked to irritate those Pharisees. I really do. I think he just liked it because he could have healed that blind man any day of the week. He said, I think I'll do it today. Verse 14, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees. Ask him how he had received his sight. Now, they're not excited. They're not encouraged. They're not blessed. They're investigating. He said, how'd you, hey, how'd this happen? He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I wash and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God. 
because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. You know, truth sometimes will divide. Truth will divide. Jesus will bring division. That is, if you take him seriously. They don't mind you bringing a Bible into prison as long as you don't preach it or teach it with authority. And they don't even mind you talking about Jesus as long as you don't talk about this Jesus that's in the Bible. Verse 17. They said the blind men again saying, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? So now he is now again progressing. He gives you his name. He tells you what he's done to him. Then he says, He's a prophet. He's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe him concerning him, and he had been blind, him that had that he had that he had been blind, and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. That's why I think he's a younger man. Because they're calling his parents on the floor. Verse 19 says, And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? I don't understand really to some degree the reaction of his parents, but that's for another message because I'd have been shouting it out, saying, yep, that's our boy, man. Thank God for what God did for our boy. Verse number 20 says, His parents answered him and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now saith, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. And when God changes a a young man's life and heart, especially if his parents don't know the Lord, they don't understand the change that takes place in an individual's life. They just know that there's a change. Verse 22, These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age... You ask him. Verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. You see, every time, here's the problem with religious people sometimes. They determine what is sin rather than what God determines is sin. That's that's where you find you moving yourself into a level of a Pharisee is when you start legislating sin. You do, rather than the Scriptures. Verse 25. He answered and said whether he be a sinner or no. And this is again now, this man has been healed, his eyes are open. Aren't you glad, Brother Stewart, that when you first got saved, that they didn't give you a theological questionnaire of everything that you believed about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God, about justification, redemption, sanctification and all of those words when in order for you to to go on with the Lord in the church man you don't you did not know all that stuff well well most of us didn't some of you maybe were raised in church and you were familiar with it not for me buddy and when I got saved I didn't know the difference between the old testament and the new testament I called the book of Habakkuk Habakkuk man I didn't know I called Job, Job. Man, I didn't know, know the difference. But I do know this. There was a day when I was blind. And I know that there came a moment when I began to see. That I am sure of. But had you given me a questionnaire about everything that I knew about Jesus at that moment, if you'd asked me about His virgin birth, if you'd asked me about His virtuous life, If you'd asked me about his vicarious death, if you'd asked me about his victorious resurrection, if you'd asked me about his visible return, I'm not sure I'd have got all of that stuff right. I can get it right now. But look what happens here. Verse 26, And did say to him, Well, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And this guy's getting a little irritated with him. He answered them and said, I have told you already. And you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Now, buddy, he said, why don't you convert? Now, you've called him a sinner. He said, this man's not of God. 
Look at verse 28. When this guy said this, he says, Then they reviled him. When you begin to follow the Lord, not everybody's going to be happy about it. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Now this young man has got a little bit of sense about him. Notice what he says. I love what he says. The man answered and said unto them, Why, hearing is a marvelous thing. Now I can detect just a little bit of sarcasm in him. That makes me just want to embrace him as my friend. (laughs) Why, hearing is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. In other words, you're so smart and you can't figure this out. Verse 31, now we know. Now here's what he's telling them. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. And that's what you call him. He said, but if any man be a what? A worshiper of God and doeth his will. Him he heareth. Now he has already come to the conclusion that this man Jesus, whom he doesn't know really yet. He's heard him, but he hadn't seen him yet. He's heard him, but he hadn't seen him. I haven't seen him, but I've heard him. One day I will see him. All right, but he says, "Mm, I've come to the conclusion that if a man worships God and tries to do his will, him God will hear when he prays. That's pretty good counsel. That's pretty good advice. Maybe we should try that. Maybe we should try doing his will and worshiping him this morning. It might improve our prayer life. Now watch what happens in verse 32. He's going to give him a history lesson. He said, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? I believe this young man understood the impossibility of what happened to him. Verse 33, but if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sins. And when people cannot answer your questions... When they cannot respond to you with Scripture, they will attack your character. They will attack you. They'll call you names. That was altogether born in sins. Now Jesus has already made it clear this man was not blind because of sin. He said, Thou was altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Now, instead of having a testimony service and drawing a crowd and saying, man, look what God did for this man, they kicked him out. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, now remember now, Jesus found him. Jesus had touched him. He let him go through some stuff. Then he finds him. When you get born again, The Lord doesn't kick you to the street and say, do the best you can. Now watch what happens. He finds him and he asks him a question. He says, dost thou believe on the Son of God? I love the answer. And he said unto him, who is he? And then he used the term Lord. Because he recognizes this brother as the same voice. That told him to go and to wash his eyes. A blind man, he hears and reacts to what he hears. Voices he recognizes. So this voice that he's hearing that's asking him this question, does thou believe on the Son of God? He recognizes that voice and whoever that, that is, and he sees him now for the first time, and he says, you're my Lord, and And he says, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And verse 37, Jesus gives him more light. Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Verse 38, here's his growth, his immediate growth, his immediate response. And he said, Lord, I believe. What's he believe? He believes that the one is standing before him is the Son of God. How does he respond to this? And he worshipped him. 
He worshipped Him for who He was and not just for what He had done. Because He had recognized the voice. This was the one who did this. But now He knows who this is and He begins to worship Him. So, well, how does that help me with my, my doctrine and my truth? Well, He's worshiping Him now based upon what He knows and on the truth. We need to hurry and close this service now. Would you turn with me to 2 John real fast? Let's read a few verses and then we'll go to the house. Okay? Did you know that God's will is for you to hear the truth and for you to receive the truth, believe it, and respond to it? Our job is to make sure that people hear the truth. You know, in Ephesians 1.13, he talks about how that after you heard the word of truth, after you heard the word of truth, you trusted. You can't trust in somebody that you haven't heard about. You can't believe on him in whom you have not heard. So you hear the truth and then you believe it, and the Lord then saves you, and then as you... Listen, some of you desire to, to, to know more about the Lord. And you think that the only way to know more about Him is by reading. But you can read till your eyeballs are sore and you'll understand some things. But the key to knowing God is reading and obeying. When you obey what you read, when you obey what you hear, God will show Him more of Himself to you. He does not reveal Himself only to readers, but to those who want to do His will. So as you read, and if you want to do His will, He will give you more. He will give you more. That's why it talks about in the book of Colossians chapter 1, around verse number 10, He talks, He prays for them, that they might walk in the wisdom of God, and and how they might be fruitful, increasing in the knowledge of God, which is absolutely connected to their response to the truth and walking in truth. Listen to me, truth is not an option for the believer. It's a way of life. This is not a buffet meal. Your Bible is not like going to the Golden Corral and you pick and choose what you like and you don't like. Not if you want to increase in the knowledge of God. That's not the way it's going to be. Some of the things you're going to read is going to be sweet. Some of it's going to be sour. Some of it's going to be milk. Some of it's going to be honey. Some of it's going to be meat. Some of it might even be a little bitter tasting. But it will all help you. And you have to put it all on your plate. And you have to eat all of it. Amen. Quickly, look at 2 John about truth. When a group makes little or light of doctrine, you need to make little or light of them in your life. These groups that are growing by leaps and bounds put no emphasis upon truth or doctrine. And when you see the word doctrine, I don't know what that means. Well, it means truth. It means teaching the truth. Now, there is false doctrine. But it's about teaching. It's about a body of truth. I want you to look in 2 John. I need you to just follow along with me. Again, I'm reading more verses than I normally do. I pray you'll bear with me for a few more minutes. I appreciate your attention this morning, your engagement in the Word of God today. But read with me, please, just along with me. Let's start with verse 1. Look at this. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. Talking about the church. Whom I love in the truth. And not only, but also they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Now John wrote earlier in 1 John. If you run into a spirit that confesseth not that Jesus was God in the flesh or came in the flesh, it's not of God. If he doesn't confess Him as Savior and as Lord, as the propitiation, as our advocate, as our mediator, it's not of God. 
Verse 4. He said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. Truth is something that you walk in. When you worship God, you walk in the truth. You, you worship and serve. You worship and serve. You worship and serve. Verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that, that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. You want to define love? That we walk after His commandments. This is a commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Verse 7, for many deceivers are entered into the world. These are people diverting you from worshiping in the right direction. Did you understand what I just said? First point of this message, the direction of your worship. Many deceivers in this world exist to move you away from worshiping the true God. Many deceivers enter the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Well, I don't understand what that means. Well, he's going to give you a few verses here. And what he means, if a Mormon or of a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, he says, don't bid them Godspeed. Don't take their trash. Don't take their literature. He said, well, that's being cruel. That's being mean. That's being judgmental. No, you're being foolish. You're being unwise and you're being disobedient. They're diverting you from worshiping the true God in the right direction with truth. You say, well, I don't think you ought to talk about other denominations. That's because you're ignorant. He said, that offends me. Well, I'm not trying to offend you. I promise you that. But if you went to the doctor, would you want him to tell you the truth? Then why wouldn't you want a preacher to tell you the truth? What's more important, your, your liver or your soul? He said in verse 8, Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we would receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine, the doctrine, that's the truth of Christ, hath not God. And he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Brother Lewis and I were in prison Monday night. I thank God for the ministry that God's given him there. As we were walking to our group to preach and teach to them, we passed a room that had windows in it, and there were men in that room on their faces, in a prostrate position, on their faces, on rugs, worshiping their God. But He was not the true God. The enemy had come in and deceived them, and they were worshiping in the wrong direction. Now, they were worshiping in spirit. They were, they were sincere. And in acts of contrition and humility, but there was no truth in what they were doing. No truth. They had missed it on Jesus. And the Bible says here in verse 10... If there, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Does God care what you believe? Does God care who you worship and how you worship? Yes, he does. He's a jealous God. He's jealous. I want my wife to love me and me alone. I want her to be committed to me. And to me alone. We're the bride of Christ. The church is. And He wants us to worship Him and love Him and Him alone. The Bible says in verse 11, He says, For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. May God help us this morning to worship in the right direction and to worship Him with the right disposition. To come here with a sincere heart and make a genuine effort to hear the Word of God, to worship Him, to sing, to fellowship, love each other, to participate in the work of God. And then to search all these things and prove that which is true, that I might worship Him in truth. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm not ashamed to confess that before men and women, are you? I ask you these three questions. Have you turned to the true and living God in, at some point in your life, having forsaken all others and cleave only unto Him as your Lord and your Savior? Have you turned 
unto God from your vain lifestyle and reached out to God and called upon Him to save you, to change you. You say, I'm hopeless. You're not hopeless. Now, you may be helpless, but you're not hopeless. There's a God who can save you and change you. Do you know very much about Him as a believer? Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Do you come to church to learn to grow? Stay focused on why you come to church. Somebody may not have shaken your hand or said hello to you. Get past that. Come on, listen to God's Word. Grow. Are you making an effort to worship Him in spirit and in truth? I pray God will help us as a church to grow in that direction. To worship Him in spirit and in truth. Then to go out and serve Him. And tell other people who are worshiping vain gods and going in the wrong direction. To tell them the truth. To help turn them to the living God. That they might be born again. But also to become worshipers of the true and living God. Let's stand together please. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We'll have a short invitation this morning. Music only. The invitation is, would you like to turn to the true and living God and give your heart to Christ today? Would you want to believe upon Him that you might be forgiven, changed, forgiven, have peace with God through Jesus Christ? It can be done. Are you willing to do like the blind man, do what you can? He did what he could. Jesus told him, go wash. What I'm asking you to do, would you bow your knee and call upon him from your heart, ask him to save you, and believe upon him from your heart? And if you are a believer, do you need to ask him to help you to increase, to worship him in spirit and in truth? Give Him the first part of each day of your heart and life. And give Him the first day of the week. Quit giving Him the scraps. Quit giving Him what's left over. And quit making excuses about it. Father in heaven, we want your will to be done in this invitation in Christ's name. Our heads bowed.